0: Thanks for listening to The Rivers Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. You guys ready? All right. Last week, since we are in a series on Moses, I talked about Moses as a baby and how he was born just like his brother, Pharaoh, into a very privileged society, and because he was born Into that privileged society, he had a choice to make that the other children who were not born into that society did not have to make. I said some kids um, are born with a 10 million word gap because they're born into poverty. It could be 10 or 11 million words. It could be more than that between a child who's born into poverty and a child who is not. Some children are born with their parents using crack or meth and some are not. And many of us here, I would imagine, were not born in Syria and didn't have to go through the struggle the refugees had to go through. And so a lot of where we're born has to do with the choice we have to react to a hurting world. And I posed this idea that maybe we're Moses or maybe we're Pharaoh. And I would take that a little further. Maybe We are Israel, which I would doubt, or maybe we're Egypt, with a lot of wealth and a lot of privilege, but hopefully the opportunity, like Moses, to rescue people who are hurting. You guys got that? I didn't get very many mean emails from people, so I figured it went over fairly well. Here's the thing. Have you ever been so angry with an injustice In this world that you are literally beside yourself. That you're so overwhelmed you don't know what to do. Have you ever been to a conference or heard someone talk about this idea called sex trafficking? Where little girls or grown women or little boys are sold for paper and metal money in exchange for their innocence over and over and over again, and you hear that it happens in all parts of the world. I've heard of people who save up their money all year long so that they can take a trip to Thailand in the summer and use small children. Have you ever been so overwhelmed with the idea of these refugees that are watching their children drown because the raft won't float trying to get to another country that is free, but you don't know what to do? Or, or all the kids in one neighborhood can't read very well, and the kids in another neighborhood can. And you just, the structures of the country are set up so that you just don't know what to do. Or, not to be controversial um, to you, but if it's controversial, so be it. Recently, the literal statistics of how many of our African American brothers and sisters have been shot by police officers and fear that they live in. I heard a story of a young man who became a doctor, and I think his dad was a lawyer, and he got pulled over one one day, and they were an African-American family, and they were very well off, very well to do, and the police officer pulled him over for doing 32 and a 30. And as they went through the whole warning system, And the police officer left. The father turned around to his young son, who was in elementary school still at the time. And he said, did you see what I did, son? And his son said, what? And he said, I didn't move my hands. Because if you move your hands, you might get shot. And I understand that there's been reaction to that. And I understand there's been a whole other shooting that's happening. But there's a vicious cycle beginning because... People feel overwhelmed by this injustice, and they don't know what to do. And so many times I, and maybe you, I can't speak for you, do nothing. Can any of you relate to this? Well, Moses, because we are in a series of Moses... In Exodus chapter 2, as he's learning about his people, that he's not an Egyptian, that he's been raised by the Egyptians, but that he's actually an Israelite, and that his people are suffering, reaches this point of overwhelming. He actually literally reaches this point of feeling overwhelmed and responds with hate. And here's what we read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. If you're going to bury somebody and try to hide a body, I don't recommend sand. And I also think it's funny that Moses would have the like idea to look this way and that when there's like millions of people all around and think he's going to get away with it. As we know, when we lie, we get caught. As my son recently learned, if you pull your spacer out of your mouth and hide it under the trash can in your room, eventually mom's going to find it. You can look this way and you can look that way, but eventually, you're going to get caught. And just so you know, and this is not a book I recommend, I don't think Moses read the book How to Commit a Perfect Murder. And the reason I don't recommend it is because I think it was written, and I could be wrong, I think it was written by a guy who was in prison for murder. But hey, welcome to church, right? <laughs> how to stop sinning. How to, how to do this. God wants this for your life. Well, thank you for that, but until you've actually done it, please stop writing things down. And so he ends up getting caught... My wife's laughing at me right now. She's like, she's like Rod, why do you got to throw these little jabs in all the time? Why do you, you got to do that? I'm like, babe, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying things. Where am I? And so he ends up getting caught. So Moses gets caught. He's caught. Moses gets caught. And he flees to the desert. He runs to the desert. And so this sermon today is about Moses in the desert. And in order to lay some context for you, I want to do a little, little, little fun thing for you kids. Because kids are smart. If I do this, ba-da-da-da-da, what do you guys do? Let's try it together. Ba-da-da-da-da-da. Thank you son. That's not exactly what I wanted. <laughs> he just repeated what I said. Which when I'm at home and I find him repeating what I say to him, I'm like, "You're going to grow up to be a terrible kid." And then I'm like, "Wait, he's just saying what I say." Ba da da da. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. That's because culturally we have a contextual understanding of that phrase, and so we automatically fill it in. Now, I had the opportunity to go to Israel and walk around the desert. I wanted to go where Jesus had been and all these cool places, and they took me and just walked me around the desert for like a week. And uh, I eventually did get to go to the Jesus places, but I was like, why am I in the desert? Why are we walking around? It looks the same. That's great. Abraham lived there in that sand pile. Awesome, Moses wandered there on that sand pile. I don't, thank you, you just could have taken a picture and said, this is where a lot of stuff happened in the Bible. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I learned that when Israel and the people of Israel thought of the desert, they did not think of the desert as the difficult place of trial, as many of us do because we read about Israel wandering in the desert and we read about the difficult things they had to go through and we read about God's provision, they didn't think about it as only the difficult place of trial. Israel thought of the desert as the place you find God in the midst of your trial. Elijah, one of the prophets in the Bible, actually when he's fleeing from Jezebel who's trying to kill him, he flees to the desert. Because that's where God is. Jesus goes to the desert for his 40 days. Because that's where God is. And this all begins with Moses running to the desert. The story starts right there. Moses runs in the wilderness. And this is like a pivotal moment for Israel's understanding of what the desert is. And it follows through Moses' whole story as he takes people through the desert. The desert is not simply the difficult place of trial. The desert is the place that you find God in the middle of your crisis. So Moses is living in the desert. He's running from Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian out of a deep, overwhelming hate he had because of an injustice he saw, and he's in crisis. Now, little history for you. Moses got married in the desert. He had a family in the desert. He learned to live in the desert. He could have lived out his existence in the desert and even been a father of many generations in the desert. Life was good for him in the desert in his crisis on the run. But it didn't change the fact that Moses was in the desert And it didn't change the fact that he was running from something that was stopping him from becoming fully who God had created him to be. And so the reality is, and it's okay, babies are crying, don't get distracted, they're just agreeing with me because I'm a stinking amazing preacher. (laughs) Moses needed to not simply remain in his crisis, but he needed to see God while he was in the desert. Can any of you relate? Moses needed to see what God was doing in the middle of his crisis. Can any of you relate? We need to see what God is doing in the middle of our wilderness, our desert, our crisis. Otherwise, we're just hopeless. Do you need to see what God is doing in the middle of the hard experiences in your life? Here's the thing. Are you listening? I think you're listening. I'm getting a lot of eye contact. God reveals himself to Moses in the middle of his crisis. God shows up in a miraculous way. Here's how the story goes. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and guys, 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 just because I'm reading out of the Bible doesn't mean it's time to tune out. This is good stuff. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. That's cool. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why this bush does not burn up. I would too. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Quick interjection. God doesn't say, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel. But Jacob was the messed up name, the heel grabber, the deceiver, and Israel was the good name. And God says to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think about it for a moment. I can use you in your mess. I don't need you to be perfect. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to even look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down. To rescue them. Does that sound familiar? God coming down to earth to rescue someone who's oppressed? Sounds like Jesus to me. I have seen my people suffering and I have come down. To rescue them. In the middle of Moses' crisis, Moses' desert, Moses is on the run. In the middle of his trial, Moses' thing that Moses needs to get fixed in order for everything to be okay. In that one moment where Moses is needing intervention from God for Moses, and he finally steps into this encounter with actual God who he can't even look at because this bush is on fire. God says this to Moses. Moses, I see you are hurting and I am coming to heal you. No! I didn't even give you a chance to nod because culturally we just say, yeah, amen! That's not it. In the middle of Moses' internal crisis, his running from murder, from consequence, hiding in the desert, trying to build a family in the desert, wishing that some way the hard things in his life would go away, and finding God in that moment and hoping something awesome would happen with God in this incredible worship service, because the songs were great today. God says, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And I have come down to rescue them. God doesn't even, he doesn't even address this internal crisis in Moses. Or does he? Why is God talking about somebody else? Listen closely. This is what I think you need to hear today. You are free to disagree just because I'm on a rage stage doesn't mean I'm closer to God than you. This is what I think you need to hear. And maybe you need to write it down. God is going to show up in your desert. God is going to show up in your crisis. God is going to show up in your wilderness. He will reveal himself in the middle of your rough spot. He will reveal himself in the middle of your wilderness. He will reveal himself in the middle of your desert. He will reveal himself in the middle of your crisis. Even if your crisis has been nine years long or 30 years long or the abuse hasn't ended yet. God will reveal himself in the middle of that. But, uh uh-oh, But his solution for your crisis most likely might be a command to go and be with or suffer with someone who is experiencing more of a crisis than you. Now listen, I'm going to say this again. God is going to show up in your desert. He will reveal himself in the middle of your crisis, but his solution for your crisis might just be a command to go and be with or suffer with someone who is experiencing more of a crisis than you. Because God knows that if you can partner with him in bringing someone else to freedom then you will experience freedom yourself. This is abstract, and it's going to get real practical real quick, so stay with me. God knows that if you can partner with him in bringing someone else into freedom, then you will experience freedom yourself. It is the magic of the cross and what Jesus accomplished for us. And if that Jesus lives inside of you, then that same power is inside of you. If I can absorb your suffering, then we will both experience the power of the resurrection, the rising from the death in which we exist. If I can absorb your suffering, we will both experience resurrection from that thing that is bringing you death and I will experience freedom from that thing that is bringing me death. This, my friends, is a backward way of thinking. Let me show you why. With a stepladder. I knew you got, I knew you were onto me. I knew you knew I was going to pull out a stepladder if the stepladder will open. Come on, stepladder. Having some spiritual attack right here, guys. Pray it through. There we go. I do need a hand, but I have two. Okay. We're just going to do this because it's a little rusty. Is that good? All right, we're good. I jumped on the stepladder. This is why this is a backwards way of thinking. There is a problem with my life. I am in a desert. I am in a crisis in my life. Culturally, in this country, in order to get out of the deserts or the crisis in your life or to become successful in your life, you have to climb a ladder. Many people call it the ladder to success. And the higher you get, the more free you are from your desert. Don't say hallelujah yet, Stephanie. But, I, but yes, hallelujah. The closer you get up this ladder, the higher you get, the more free you are from your desert. And that's what we're taught. If I can read another book about me, if I can get a raise, if i can if i can just overcome this one thing this sin in my life then i will be free at some point to help other people become free that's what we're all raised to believe it's backwards it's not how god thinks it is not how god thinks Usually, we want to overcome our desert before we jump into someone else's desert. We want to be free first in order to help someone else get free. That's because of shame, that's because of guilt, that's because of insecurity, that's because you believe you have to be perfect before you can help somebody arrive at something. But if you have a struggle in your life and the kid next door can't read, guess what? You can probably read. It's okay. You can go to them. And so God has it just set up a little bit differently. But this reason that we climb this ladder and we climb and we climb and we climb, I can overcome my stuff and then I can go help people. This this one reason, I believe... Is why many people do not get to experience freedom in their lives. Because countless Jesus followers are spending most of their time and energy trying to get themselves free before diving into someone else's desert. Countless! It's almost a business. It's almost a business, people. Countless Jesus followers are spending most of their time and energy trying to get themselves free before diving into someone else's freedom when maybe, maybe, and this is all, this is I just want you to consider it. Maybe your freedom from your desert is directly tied to your choice to walk with someone else in their desert. Maybe your freedom from your desert is directly tied to to walking with someone else through their desert. Man, I, I have a friend this morning who I, I talked to um, this person and their mom. And they've both been in a desert. And I found out this morning that my friend is nine months clean and sober from meth. This church, this community of people, we have a brother or a sister who is nine months clean and sober from meth. We have that here. Do you know why we have that? I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb right now. Because mom stopped climbing the ladder. Let me get myself right, and then I can get somebody else right. Let me get myself right, then I can get somebody else right. Paused. And like God who said, I have looked down and I have seen my people suffering. And I have decided to come down to them Mom spent her time and energy interceding, praying, fighting for her daughter. Stopped climbing the ladder and fought for for her little girl. And God likes that. Do you know why God likes that? Because God does that. God does that. When he sees people suffering, he gets off of his high up their ladder, and he comes down to be with them, to suffer with them, to wander through the desert with them. Now Moses wasn't the best directionalist, but he suffered with, and millions of people got free. And if you and I could stop climbing the ladder to success and go and exist in the desert with people in their desert, we would too Define the desert not as the place of trial, but as the place where you meet God in the midst of your trial. I have another friend who struggles with anxiety like crazy. Can't get out of bed in the morning sometimes because of anxiety. Can't eat because of anxiety. Can't talk to people because of anxiety. When she comes out on me with me on the streets... Of Kalamazoo in the Edison neighborhood, or the North Side with Tinsley, when she comes out and loves people and prays with people, this miracle happens. This supernatural, amazing miracle happens that has not yet been able to happen when you go when she's gone over to the prayer corner during church. That has not yet been able to happen when she sings the worship songs, when she reads the Christian books, when she talks to the Christian counselors. All of those things are good. But for some reason, this anxiety has not lifted from her during those times. But when she's out on the street, stepping into other people's deserts and loving them, she says, my anxiety is gone. She says, it is completely gone. The supernatural can be summed up very practically, friends. When you're walking with someone in their desert and you're spending your time and energy loving them, guess what? You're not doing drugs. You're not in your addiction during those moments. And so how do we make those moments that give us glimpses and get us pumped about Jesus, how do we make those moments our lifestyle? Because if those moments can become our lifestyle, we will begin to see waters part on a regular basis because we will have stepped into the desert with someone who needs the water to part. It's just it's, it, it's not abstract. It's just practical. The short-term mission trip can become the lifestyle mission trip. It's going to change everything. It's going to change the way you spend your time. It's going to change the way you spend your money. It might change your job. It might change how you relate to your neighbors. It might change how you interact with people who are different than you. It might change the way that you just simply walk around. It might change the way you think. But oftentimes, if you can step into a different subculture than your own and find someone who has a desert to be with them in that desert, you will see God do the miraculous. Yes. Yes. Do me a favor. Don't go try to find the supernatural God who condescends to people to love them when he sees them in their misery. Don't go try to find him at the next Christian conference with the next awesome speaker. Find him with someone in their desert. And then you'll have a story to share, and that story will encourage somebody, and you'll come to church, and someone else will have a story to share, and you'll encourage them, and we'll come to church, and we'll say, hey, guess what? I did this, and it feels a little weird, and I'll look at you, and I'll say, you're not crazy, because I've been doing the same stuff, and you'll look at me, and you'll say that. And then we'll have a reason to come to church because we'll have something to celebrate. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.